going to read two scripture texts tonight. They, they may seem a little surprising scripture texts to choose, at least the first one, uh, when our focus is on uh, personal devotion, reading of the word, uh, because the first one comes from Deuteronomy when pretty much none of the word was in print and, uh, and no one owned a copy. <laughs> So, so that may seem like a strange text to go to, but we're going to go to Deuteronomy 4 first. Deuteronomy 4, verses 1 through 14. And then we'll jump a few pages over to Joshua chapter 1. Deuteronomy 4. And I'll read the first 14 verses. Hear the word of our God. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord, God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal of Peor. But you held fast to the Lord your God, who held fast to the Lord your God, are alive today, every one of you. Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them, in the land which you go in to possess. Therefore be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that God has God so near to it? as the Lord our God is to us. For whatever reason, we may call upon him. And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you this day? Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself lest you forget the things your eyes have seen and lest you depart from your heart all the days of your life And teach your children and your grandchildren, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children. Then you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire to the midst of heaven with darkness, cloud, and thick darkness. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. You only heard a voice. So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, the Ten Commandments, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might observe them in the land which you cross over to possess. And then Joshua chapter 1. I'll read the first nine verses. 
After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the river, the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people I shall divide all as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may, be, may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So far in the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this, your word. We thank you uh, for how we can understand it even more clearly with the rest of the scriptures behind it to help us understand. Lord, we thank you that you are the God who has spoken and not been silent. And so we pray this evening you would bless your word and bless the, the preaching of it as well. Lord, And we do thank you. We thank you for... Uh, the the youth of this church and their exuberance in worship. Lord, we pray that you will bless them, that they may hear tonight as well, and that we all might learn from you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I do have coloring pages. I was was about to ask Titus to pass them out, but that won't work. So how about you? The coloring page has a Bible open. And those of you who can write words, since there's nothing there, pick your favorite Bible verse. Make sure it's from the Bible, right? You can write write your favorite Bible verse in when you're done coloring the rest of it. As we look at these two passages tonight, oh, thank you. Thank you very much. As we look at these two passages, they're passages that, uh, for the most part, are about spoken word. God spoke to Moses. He spoke to Joshua. It doesn't look like they're very relevant in terms of us uh, reading the Bible, but uh, they, they really are quite relevant. For one thing, Moses is talking about things he said, which he then wrote down and he gave to the people, and they are to 
remember. They're to remember them for generations after Moses dies. And it, it's just right after Moses dies that God looks at Joshua. It's really too bad I don't have shades on that window, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> uh, that, that Moses, uh, uh, or that God speaks to Joshua and talks to him about how he's going to be near him. And how is he going to be near Joshua? As Joshua remembers the word which Moses wrote down and the word which Moses delivered to him. And we find a similar thing in Deuteronomy 4. Uh, We find in Deuteronomy 4 verses 7 and 8. In verse 7, there's this, this amazing statement by Moses. For what great nation is there that has God so near it as our God is to us. What an amazing blessing. But then look at the next verse. He then qualifies how God is so near to us. What great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in this law which I set before you today? Moses puts these two things next to each other. God is near us and we have a word from our God. And the New Testament tells us that's still the same for us. Think for example, we could think of Romans, uh, Romans chapter 10, which I'm not sure, but it, it may be our scripture text for next Sunday night. Romans chapter 10, where um, th- this very thought is picked up. We read, if I, if I could just turn there, Romans chapter 10 in verse 6, we read, The righteousness of faith speaks this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. So there in Romans, Paul does the same thing that that uh, Moses is doing in Deuteronomy 4. He's saying God is near you, not by in some mystic way dragging Christ down or some in mystic way thinking you can bring Jesus up from the dead as, as if that hasn't already happened. But no, he is near you. Jesus is near you. Where? In the word. And the word which is then also by the apostles preached. That's what Moses is saying in Deuteronomy 4. And so as we look tonight... We see this relationship between the, the word and the closeness we have with God. How relevant to this topic we've taken up in the evenings last week and the previous time with uh, the means of grace, that God is near to his people. His grace is near to us, accessible there. Uh, we just need to grab hold of it. It's there. He's given it to us primarily, the, the chief area is through his written word as we read it and as we confessed uh, or read the catechism a few minutes ago, especially in the preaching. But I I don't think we should just rush on to preaching just because especially in the preaching. uh, I want to stop this week before we get to preaching as a means of grace and think about just the written word, which we take for granted and which... I know all of you have a Bible that you own, or if you don't, I can send you home with one tonight. Good grief, I have so many of them. It, it, it's, a, it's a thing that Joshua probably would have 
fallen to his knees weeping over the idea of all of God's people having a completed set of scripture in their hand and in their possession. It's an amazing means of grace. Uh, the shorter catechism, which we read, number 89, emphasizes that we, we receive grace through the word in terms of conversion and discipleship, that God uses his word to convert sinners and convict them, but also to build us up in the Christian life. It has everything we need as Christians to build us up in faith and life. And we have these two uh, passages before us that I think give a lot of flavor to the, the grace that we receive when we read the word by faith. Um, I, I was struggling with how to do this, so I'm going to try to bullet point just a few of these things. We read in these two passages that the word of God is the source of several things. The word of God is the source of God's promises. Isn't that the central thing that God is saying to Joshua in Joshua 1? Uh, you can see that in verses 3 through 6. He lists off. You're going to go in. I've already given you this land. He's saying, I've promised. You know I've promised, Joshua, because you have Deuteronomy. You have my promises in your hand. You're not supposed to forget about those promises. You need to meditate on this written word day and night. Then you'll be successful. Why? Because you'll remember my promises. So the word of God is the, the source of our remembrance and knowing of God's promises. If, if you think about how, how do we know God's promises, if we look at, at creation and just stand out in creation and see the beauty of the mountains, the ocean, the, the rain, the, the sun, there's a lot of glory of the Lord there, but can you, can you exposit the promises of God? From creation. C could you, for example, see that from creation, I will never leave you nor forsake you? C could you know that? It's actually a bit of a trick question because this afternoon I thought there is one exception to me saying this. There's one place you look in creation and you can exposit the promise of God. Where is that? children is there something you can look at in creation and say oh god promised something whenever i see this i'm supposed to remember god's promise rainbow. Yeah. yeah the rainbow so that's an exception to the rule and it's a, but how do you know it's an exception to the rule Actually, we only know it's an exception to the rule because God said so in Genesis, and you have Genesis, and your Sunday school teachers teach you Genesis, and your parents tell you Genesis. Uh, maybe they remind you of Genesis every time you stand on the porch and look at the rainbow outside. But, but otherwise, nature by itself would not be sufficient for us to see God's promises, to say... God has pro I, I, could, I can't look at the most beautiful forest in the world and the most amazing waterfall and say, he has promised if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive them. Right? That, that, I would never get that from creation. I, I have to go to the, the written word to get that. 
And then I can go out in creation and celebrate the fact that he's made these promises. But the word is the source of his promises, and that's what he's telling us in Joshua 1. Uh, Deuteronomy 4 verse 1 tells us that the word of God is the, is the source of life itself. He says to you, Listen to the statutes and judgments which I teach you to observe that you may live. Now, here he's talking about a life that is fruitful and blessed. But how do we know what's going to be fruitful, what God is going to bless, unless we hear what God likes, approves of, desires, and instructs us in? The directions for life in the promised land are given uh, in chapter 4 of Deuteronomy. Verse 5, uh, Surely I have taught you the statutes, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land you go in to possess. So we could say that the word of God is the source of a, a manual, a manual for how to hold the promises of God in life. Uh, or as the children's catechism, I think, says quite early on, that the Bible teaches us not only what we're to believe about God, but also the duties or responsibilities, the life that God expects from man. That's in the Shorter Catechism. I think it's also in the Children's Catechism as well. And the result of listening to God's word is that we have security, spiritual security in life. And that's the point of Deuteronomy 4, 3, and 4. There are those who didn't listen to the word of God, and spiritually, God cut them right off. He also physically cut them off. But uh, for us, the, the extrapolation would be that he's going to, if you ignore his word, he, he is not going to bring these blessings upon you. You're going to be distant from him. But verse 4, those of you who held fast to what God said are alive. If we hold fast to his word, we should expect it to be a source of life for us. Uh, or another way of saying it, Deuteronomy 4, 6, that the, the word is the source of wisdom. We need wisdom in life. Uh, some of us need a lot more wisdom in life. We could uh, delve into the word and, and benefit quite well from studying the wisdom books more than we do, I think. Uh, here, it is the source of wisdom. And we enter into wisdom, of course, through the fear of the Lord. In Deuteronomy 4, verse uh, 10, and tells us that this is the, one of the chief reasons God has spoken to us, that we may learn to fear Him. We need the fear of the Lord. If you're not sure what fear of the Lord means, or if fear makes you think terror all the time, then um, you could join us Saturday morning at 8.30, because we're up to the chapter on how to uh, uh, make use of the, the fear of the Lord, and we're in the middle of this book on the fear of the Lord, it'd be worth your time. O or you can wait, you know, maybe a year, and I might do a Sunday school class on the same topic. Uh, or, you know, I, I can recommend books. But, uh, but the fear of the Lord is an important thing, and we learn it more in the Word than in creation. Creation can t teach us terror at a powerful being. Martin Luther's on the road. Lightning is striking all over the place. He thinks he's dead. Unconverted Martin Luther. Right? Creation 
creation was enough to teach him to be terrified of some powerful God out there. But only the word, when Luther read, the just shall live by faith, then he knew what it was to fear without terror and fear unto salvation. I think that's the case for us as well. And then Joshua 1.8 talks about success, and we won't delve into what success looks like for him versus us, uh, but the word of God is the source of that success promise there as well. Now, why is the Bible the source of all of this grace? For one simple reason that shines forth from Deuteronomy 4 and Joshua 1, and that is that it is God's word. The Bible is a source of grace for one reason and one reason alone. It is the very word of God. It's not the word of men that sometimes God uses and inspires in your life. Well, God could use anything he wanted to inspire your your knowledge if he chose to. But no, we find in the scriptures that this is the very word of God. God breathed out. It used to be called, uh, translated inspired. And then they realized that they've been using this word inspired that makes us think something goes into it. But the the Greek word is, is breathed out. It's the breath of God himself that we have in the scriptures. And this is really important uh, because because if we don't think of this as the word of God, it's a 2,000 to 7,000 year old book, right? Parts are 2,000 years old, parts are 7,000 years old, and well, you can see what liberalism and more recently deconstruction of the faith has, has done when you think that this book is not the word of God, but just a book about God, then, then you can go in and say, but it's a book about God that's really old. And we need something more current. It's a book about God that might help me think through my faith, but it doesn't need to instruct my faith and command my faith and form my faith. And so... I'm going to, uh, this deconstruction movement going on today, it rarely starts with, I want to get rid of religion. At least on the surface, the claim is, I'm trying to think through what I believe. But if you're starting with, I'm thinking through what I believe, and this is just a really old book, it doesn't take a lot, and it shouldn't surprise us that most of that movement is chucking the book out, and then it's chucking the whole faith out. no surprise if it's only an old book that we don't show reverence for this book. Deuteronomy 4, 7 and 8 and 11 and 12, these verses declare very forcefully that we ought to have reverence for this, right? What nation is there whose God is so close? Why? Because he's given us a word. That should instill reverence in you. Uh, The Lord, the Lord came near and stood at the foot of the mountain. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain. The mountain burned with fire, darkness, cloud, 
The Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of his words. You saw no form. You only heard a voice. That should instill reverence. No, you don't. You and I don't stand at the foot of the mountain. No, we come to Mount Zion. To a place that doesn't make us tremble in the same way. Hebrews tells us that. But we have actually something so much more amazing. Here the emphasis is you get to go and you get to see all the, all the visual side, right? But you don't see God. You just hear him. You and I don't get that kind of visual side. It, at least that hasn't happened at Christ Church during a worship service. Fire and thunder and cloud. But what does the New Testament paint for us instead? We, we have the word completed and we're here they have this voice coming out of what they cannot see. In the New Testament, we have the word, and Paul's conclusion to it is, in Galatians 3, verse 1, you have seen him clearly portrayed as crucified. They didn't see him. They had all the visual. We don't have the visual, and we get to see him. That's actually exactly what Peter and John both are saying in their letters as well. In uh, for Second Peter chapter one and in First John one, both men go out of their way to say, "Hey, you weren't up on the mountain with me when I saw Jesus transformed, but I write these things to you because you're not going to miss out on it. You get to see him too, as I bring his word to you. That's an amazing thing. We we should have reverence, therefore." When I was in seminary, we, we visited uh, my Hebrew class. We visited a, a synagogue one Saturday. They, they knew who we were. We, we let them know we were coming in advance. They knew we were going to do something. They knew that we Christians, that this is um, putting their thought into words, have such disdain for this book that they knew, not this book, you know, th- their version, the, the, uh, the incomplete scriptures. Uh, they knew that we would go and for convenience sake try to put those scriptures on the ground. That's what, that's what you do, right? Sunday, some of you probably here already did it. And on Sunday, I did it this morning. I leaned my Bible up against the bottom of my chair while we were singing a hymn. And, and they had a guy ready. He was on, he was on uh, Christian duty, or I'm sure maybe goy duty, pagan duty. Uh, he came running over before that, the scriptures touched the ground. He said, no, 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 this is the word of God. It doesn't touch the ground. Now, this could end up in a dung pile, and it wouldn't take anything from the holiness of this book. Because it is God's word. It isn't the paper that somehow... right. But, but I think we can learn something, even though I'm not saying it's wrong for you to put your Bibles on the ground. I think we can learn something about reverence for the word of God from their view. Now, they also idolatize it. They have a, a big old scroll of the books of Moses, giant scroll as big as, as, big as me. They carry it around people, you know touch the hem of their robe to it and kiss it so that it blesses them. So there's idolatry there, right? We don't want to copy them across the board. But, but I think there's something about reverence that we can learn from that. 
Westminster Larger Catechism 157 says the Holy Scriptures are to be read with a high and reverent esteem for them, with a firm persuasion that they are the very Word of God. I think I think it's fair to say anyone struggling, because it's not wrong to struggle with what do I believe, anyone struggling with what I believe will not end up a deconstructionist who ends up being a, a, the, the hashtag term these days is ex-evangelical. I can't even say it. It's evangelical with an X instead of a V. That is, I've deconstructed my faith and I'm no longer a Christian. If you start your thinking through what you believe with a high and reverent view that this is the very word of God, you're not going to end up there. You're not going to end up there. We need this reverence. So what is our responsibility? What is our responsibility with regard to the scriptures and and reading the scriptures? We confessed earlier, Shorter of Catechism 90, that we are to read the scriptures with diligence, preparation, and prayer, receiving them with uh, faith and and love, laying them up in our hearts and practicing it in our lives. So I'm sure that I could preach three hours on what diligence and preparation look like, but here are just some quick bullet points, uh, not three hours. Uh, quick, some quick bullet points uh, to try to think through how to be diligent as we come to read the word in our daily devotions or, or whatever devotions you have, um, your family devotions, your personal devotions. First, if we're going to be diligent, we need to be diligent to receive it all. We don't pick and choose a part of the Bible that I'm going to be diligent with. I'm going to be really diligent to read the the Gospels and the Psalms. And I'm not going to read the rest. When God says, do not take away from or add to. And isn't it interesting? He said that here. It's not just in the end of Revelation that God says that, which is where we usually think of, right? The last chapter of Revelation. Don't add to, don't take away from. He says it through Moses at the beginning of Deuteronomy. Don't add to. Which indicates... His point is, even the content you have, don't ignore it. It's there. Don't take away from what you... So we need to be diligent with all of it. You, you should be diligent to study Leviticus and Numbers just as you ought to be diligent to study Luke and John. Now, two of those are clearer than the others. And two of those have more direct relevance towards probably a gospel testimony, right? So uh, if you're a new Christian, you start with John, not Leviticus. Uh, If you're evangelizing, you probably don't want to take people to numbers for your main uh, arguments. But as mature believers, we should be paying attention to all of it, diligent to receive it all and not to add to it. You know, we live in a day and age where a book's barely out for a year before the, the updated version comes out. The Bible doesn't need updating. We have a wonderful thing in, in modern English translations. I'm not saying we should be reading King James uh, with the these and the thous. But in terms, of, in terms of having a readable, good version, we have those. You have your choice of them. 
but we don't add on. Be diligent also to keep it in our minds and our hearts, Deuteronomy 4, 9, and observe it in our lives. Put it into practice, Joshua 1, 8. And so it's not enough to just read our Bibles. Then we have to say, well, what am I going to do with this? How do, I, how do I think about this? Well, we should probably try praying over it more, and we'll come back to that in a moment. We also need to be diligent to teach it to the next generation. This would be a point that we would have in the back in the day called preaching to the choir, I realize, with who's here tonight. But, but teaching it to our children, that's part of what God commands here. And we're not just supposed to be teaching them to read it. We're to be teaching them to respect and love it. I, I think that those are sometimes different things. If we as parents are always setting a, a standard for our children that reading the word is something we have to do again, again, I'm tired. If that's all, then, then we're teaching them, read the Bible. But we're not necessarily teaching them, love the word of God. And I realize there are days when we're all going to flop on that one. And we need to read it, whether we're enthusiastic always or not. But we should also desire to teach respect and love for the very word of God. And then be diligent to make it an important part of your day and night, as, as Joshua is told in verse 8. And I, I'm not sure that we have to say that that's read a text in the morning, read it at night. It's the idea of the totality of your life from day to night, from morning to night, making it a priority when you wake up. Don't forget it throughout the day. Return to it at night, even if you only read at one of those times. There are ways that you can do this, right? If you only read right before bed, then you could pray about what you read last night first thing when you get up in the morning. Even if you're not reading another text that next morning, right? You could pray again. Lord, before I went to bed, I read this. Help me to remember it throughout today and practice it today. That kind of thing. I think praying and meditating on, on the word is one way to keep it part of our day and night. And how can we prepare to read and receive the word? Well, if we're going to be prepared for our devotional life, then we need to put everything else aside, right? Don't multitask when you're doing your devotions. I'll qualify that a little bit. Because some of us pray better when we're not sitting like this, right? So I pray great when I'm driving. So if I'm going to visit someone and it's a 20-minute drive to you know, get together with someone for a visit, uh, that's a great time for me to pray while I'm driving or doing dishes. I'm not saying don't do any of those things or, or don't take advantage of the many wonderful audio Bibles that you can listen to while you're doing dishes, right? I love David, David Suchet, the actor, reading the NIV. I, I love listening to that while I do dishes. It's, it's wonderful. Um, but for the most part, we're not as good at multitasking as we think. David Murray, uh, Pastor David Murray talks about how he used to use his Kindle for doing his devotions. And one day he realized that when his children came down in the morning, for all they knew, he was reading the newspaper. 
or Moby Dick. The Kindle looks the same no matter what. So he made a switch to using a paper copy of the Bible. I was talking to someone about that and they said, yeah, I, I made that switch because he had made, you know, he encouraged that. I made that switch and I realized it wasn't my children who were being fooled. It was me. The person said I was doing my devotions on a phone app. And all of a sudden when I switched to a paper Bible, I realized I was getting through the Bible a lot faster and I was thinking about it a lot more during the day. Well, what happened? I mean, the Bible was there on his phone app. Well, he was... Oh, there's a text message. Okay, back back, back to Genesis 4. Okay. Oh, uh, something popped up, an alert, right? Uh, don't multitask. E- even if you use your phone as your Bible, which I don't necessarily recommend, but I know there's a lot of great apps. Don't multitask. If we're to prepare to read and receive it, we need to put everything else aside... Everything else aside and focus on this thing. We also need to put time aside. Don't assume you're going to find time. Isn't that one of the great dangers? Oh, I'll get to my scripture reading sometime today. And then you don't. No, we need to plan our schedules around the reading of God's word, not the word around all the rest of our schedule. We're back to what we thought about this morning, the, the ground where the thorns and the thistles choke the life out of the word that happens if we let our time uh, revolve around everything other than the word now that might require you getting up earlier or staying up later right uh, the the making your schedule fit around the world doesn't mean word doesn't mean in the middle of your day at work you just stop doing the job you're getting paid to do and pull a bible out uh, i worked for a construction company there was a problem with that we were wondering why isn't so-and-so it's supposed to be sweeping the back room so we could coat the floor, wood floors, and, and where is he? So we went looking for him. He was leaning on the broom reading, I think it was Jerry Bridges or Darcy Sproul or something. What are you doing? You, you can't do that in the middle of your work day. No, so it'll take sacrifice, right? If we're going to be prepared for the word, we may have to get up earlier in the morning. We may have to stay up later or something like that. Give up doing whatever you do during your lunch break to get your devotions in. And then prayer. Pray before you read the word. Pray after you read the word. And then pray in reflection throughout the day. When you have a spare moment, make yourself think back. Do I remember what I read for devotions this morning? Back in the day, I would chat with friends and I would say... uh, I was pulling supply in a bunch of different places, so people would ask me how that went, and I would respond with, how was the sermon you heard this morning? And they would say, oh, it was a great sermon! Oh yeah, what was the scripture text? Crickets. Well, if that's how, if that's how our reading of the, the word is, there's a problem. And so we need to be praying in reflection on it throughout the day. I realize our schedules are all very different and your practice is going to look very different one person to another. And the the danger with this kind of sermon is it could turn into this is what I do and I'm now the standard for your devotional life. And that's, of course, a problem, isn't it? That's not the goal. So here's a question I want to challenge you with this evening. Not whether or not you have the perfect devotional standard. Uh, whether you use this system for reading the Bible or that system for reading the Bible or 
or, or whatever. Here's the question for each person to examine themselves. Do you consistently, reverently, and diligently read the Word of God? Do you prepare yourself to make sure that happens? And do you pray over what you have read? See, a question like that doesn't, doesn't make it a comparison between your standard and your standard, how you do it and how he does it. It makes it ourselves. Can I honestly say, whatever my frequency, whatever the number of verses I read and time I spend, am I diligent, reverent, and am I praying about it? God has promised great things through his word, great and precious promises. He has promised clarity about wise living and joy in the relationship of him with him for those who will hear his voice. And so, friends, we need to take up and read his word, expecting all of this with diligence and with reverence.